It's a scientific fact. A scientific fact. It has to be correct. It has to be exact. Because it is, because it is a scientific fact. It's a scientific fact. Hello and welcome. You are now listening to Undiscovered, the show formerly known as Discovery. I'm Noel Hanna, and on this edition, we will be featuring some space tourism, old feet, and what is really inside the Earth. But first up, it's the news with Ian Wolfe. A mathematician has explained how to stabilise a wobbly table without needing to jam a beer coaster under one of the legs. Australian researcher Dr. Burkhard Polster of Monash University in Melbourne has calculated that turning a rectangular table around its axis will cure the wobble. Just by turning it on the spot, because of intermediate value theory, you can find a balanced point where all four legs are on the ground. Be warned, the table legs can get stuck in the grooves between the tiles. Researchers have discovered that indium gallium nitride will convert light from all of the frequencies of sunlight from the infrared through optical wavelengths and all the way into the ultraviolet. This means solar cells will be super efficient and super cheap. Is there a spin-off from the kind of light-emitting diodes being used in traffic lights and torches? They can take a lot of heat, so they'd be good in a climate such as Australia, and they're X-ray resistant, so they could be good for satellites as well. Dr. Huang Wu Suk from the Seoul National University is in trouble again. Last time, it was the ethics of having employees donate eggs for his research. Now, his work showing how cloned embryonic stem cells can be used to treat incurable disease by matching the cell's DNA to patients is all in doubt. There is a confession of faking the data from his co-worker, Rose Sung-il, chairman of the board of the Mismedi Hospital in Korea. The claim is that nine of the 11 stem cell lines were fake. However, the editors of Science magazine stand by his findings. So how can he prove it? Well, unfortunately, a fungus blew in from a dog farm next door and destroyed most of the cell cultures. Huang said he can prove his findings and, find, and has another paper to publish based on cell cultures that were preserved in the freezer. This means that most of Huang's previous research is also now in doubt. At this point, it's still one man's word against another's, but therapeutic cloning's not looking so good. Epidemiologists have found that the spread of malaria and other mosquito-borne diseases can only be explained if a small number of people are getting bitten way more often than the majority. This means that fighting the diseases won't be effective if the preventative measures are aimed at everybody. Children and pregnant women are especially attractive to mosquitoes. Mosquitoes are attracted not only by body heat and exhaled carbon dioxide, but by many of the scents the human body releases. Some people smell more attractive to mosquitoes. Their attractiveness may be influenced by medication, diet and exercise, but so far the only way to tell is to ask people. Most people know whether they're luckier with mosquitoes or not, or just watch for the bites. There's a hacker down the drain. 
a programmer who explores drains and tunnels for fun, had his car and house searched during the police lockdown on the beaches in Sydney last Sunday. They found a gas mask, a gun and a gun safe, and evidence that he'd visited a fight-back website. The police and politicians branded him a violent Nazi. They said the mask was to disguise himself, the gun wasn't registered, and he had petrol stored in his boot. The police reported that someone in the car had made a racial slur against Lebanese people, which meant they must be white supremacist. His solicitor produced photos of him wearing the gas mask in a sewer, and evidence that the gun registration was in dispute rather than never applied for. The solicitor pointed out that the police didn't actually attribute the racist comments to anyone in the car. The police complained that he had 25 litres of petrol stored in the boot, but the magistrate pointed out that he hadn't been charged with that. The magistrate agreed to grant bail if he stays with his mum at all times. The magistrate also decided that he couldn't withhold bail just because somebody looked at a bad website. This is a very important decision in Australia with all the hysteria about terrorism. The Sydney Morning Herald reported the story with a link to the suspicious webpage. If you click it, you know at least you'll be granted bail with mum. Columbia University scientists are gaining a new understanding of why marijuana gives you the munchies. While the brain's cannabinoid receptors are involved, the specifics have always been a mystery. Understanding the circuitry has practical implications because blocking the cannabinoid receptor CB1 offers an approach to treating obesity by attacking what makes you hungry. One such compound, Rumonibant, or trade name Accomplia TM, is already undergoing clinical testing. In an article on December 22, 2005 of Neuron magazine, Jung Huan Zhou and his colleagues report how the circuitry of CB1 is integrated with signaling by the appetite-suppressing hormone leptin. So the same system that can suppress your appetite can also stimulate it. That was Ian Wolfe there with the news. You're still listening to the show formerly known as Discovery. Now, Jackie Hayes is going to tell us about what we can expect from the future of private industry in space. Okay. So I think most people have heard about the three paying astronauts, Dennis Tito, Mark Shuttleworth and Greg Olson, who paid at least $20 million to fly aboard the Russian Soyuz vehicles and stay up on the International Space Station. However, what I want to tell you about this morning is the new phase in space exploration that we're entering. Ambitious philanthropists have set their sights on space exploration, and in particular space tourism, and together they're creating privately owned and operated space companies. One of the driving forces behind opening up space exploration is going to be the award of large monetary prizes for those who successfully create and build the new technology. The first momentous prize of this kind was the X Prize, which, was, which offered $10 million to the first suborbital spaceflight. Established in 1995, the X Prize was finally won in October of last year, 2004, and Spaceship One became the first privately financed vehicle to enter suborbital space, which is 100 kilometers above the Earth's surface. Uh, most people believe that when the X Prize was won, the long-awaited space industry had finally arrived. And so the design behind a Spaceship One was bought and is being used by Richard Branson in his Virgin Galactic Fleet. Some of you might have already heard about this, it's been in the news a little bit. 
Beginning in 2007, Virgin Galactic is going to take at least 6,000 people into suborbital space over three years. For only $200,000 US, anyone can book seats on the flight. If you, the esteemed listener of the show formerly known as Discovery, would like to secure your seat on a suborbital flight, then you can go to virgingalactic.com and submit your details. Booking requires a deposit of $20,000, but who knows, you could end up sharing your seven minutes of extraplanetary weightlessness with some of the famous people who have already signed up, including Paris Hilton, William Shatner from Star Trek, guitarist Dave Navarro from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and actress Sigourney Weaver. But Richard Branson isn't the only person out there trying to lower the cost of access to space. There's another... Uh, entrepreneur from South Africa called Elon Musk and he thinks he can lower the cost of launching by a factor of 10. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Elon Musk because he's my hero. Uh, <laughs> he first he set up his first company, the Zip2 Corporation, which provided software and services to the media industry and then at the age of 23 he sold Zip2 to Compaq for $307 million in an all-cash transaction. He, after selling the Zip2 Corporation, he set up PayPal, which then went on to become the world's leading electronic payment system. PayPal was acquired by eBay for $1.5 billion in 2002. So with this substantial little packet of money, Elon Musk sat down and thought about what he was going to do next. And he decided that he was going to help humanity become a spacefaring civilization. He decided he was going to do this by setting up an experimental greenhouse on Mars. A quick cal calculation later, he realised that the cost of launching was very high and perhaps a greenhouse on Mars wasn't the way to go. So instead, he decided to set up his third company, Space Exploration Technologies, which is more commonly known as SpaceX. SpaceX have designed the world's first fully reusable launch vehicles. The first launch of SpaceX vehicle was scheduled for the 19th of December, but has actually been put off, put off until the end of January next year. And they think that in the long term, these fully reusable launch vehicles are going to reduce the cost of access to space by a factor of 10. So what are we going to do once we're in space? Uh, another entrepreneur, Robert Bigelow, has acquired the designs for inflatable space habitats from the TransHab program abandoned by NASA. Bigelow has also decided to use a monetary prize to encourage people to develop new, low-cost and reliable technology. There's a $50 million prize for the person who can design and build a spacecraft that will transport the customers to the hotel in orbit. Bigelow Aerospace, Robert Bigelow's company, is currently planning to launch a prototype orbital hotel by early 2006 and claims he's going to officially launch the first space hotel by 2010. So what do you guys reckon? Are you going to be taking a flight on Virgin Galactic? Staying in a space hotel? Well, um, who's, who's out there flying on the first flight of SpaceX in January? Are there any Paris Hiltons or David Hasselhoffs around there? Oh, well, actually, SpaceX, uh, no, Paris Hilton isn't on that. Although, if she was, it might increase the IQ of the world. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just, it just takes up payloads. So it's taking up um, military stuff for the US government and other private things. I think okay, Robert so Bigelow is going to be launching using SpaceX, so... Yeah, okay, mm. so this is just sort of the first real test run of SpaceX. Yeah, in January. Okay. That's so that's before Richard Branson? Yes, it is before Richard Branson. Richard oh. Branson's not till 2007. 
I heard a rumour that the editor of Cosmos, Wilson De Silva, and his patron, uh, whose name I can't recall, both appeared in a photo recently in the newspapers with Richard Branson because they've bought seats on the intergalactic flight. Ah. So we might have some Australian celebrities going up. Good. We want some Australians in space. I like, th- I like the way that you said season. that you know anybody can fly on this for only you know two hundred thousand dollars. So I, I'm sure that actually excludes a good um, proportion of the world's population. Yes, yeah. but who really needs a house these days anyway? <laughs> it's just a deposit, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be saving up. Uh, anyway, whatever does happen in the next decade or so, it's certainly going to be very interesting. Thanks for that, Jackie. The website again for those who have twenty thousand for their deposit and a. 200,000 for the total flight. The website is virgingalactic.com. Okay, now we have some music for you. Particle man, particle man, doing the things a particle can. What's he like? It's not important. Particle man, is he a dot or is he a speck? When he's underwater, does he get wet or does the water get him instead? Nobody knows. Particle man. Triangle Man, Triangle Man, Triangle Man hates Particle Man. They have a fight, Triangle wins, Triangle Man. Universe Man, Universe Man, size of the entire Universe Man, usually kind to smaller man, Universe Man. He's got a watch with a minute hand, millennium hand, energy on hand. And when they meet, it's a happy land. Powerful man, universe man. Person man, person man, hit on the head with a frying pan. Lives his life in a garbage can. Person man, is he depressed or is he a mess? Does he feel totally worthless? Who came up with person man? Degraded man, person man. Triangle man, triangle man, triangle man hates person man. They have a fight, triangle wins, triangle man. You were just listening to Particle Man by They Might Be Giants. Still to come on the show formerly known as Discovery, we're going to be talking about the hollow earth. But first, Natalie Stabe is going to tell us a little bit about some old feet. Natalie? Thanks, Noel. Fossilised footprints have been found in Lake Mungo National Park, which is in western New South Wales, and they've been dated at around 19 to 23,000 years ago. And this places them uh, during the last ice age. Now, these happen to be the oldest uh, fossilised footprints in Australia. And in total, 457 footprints have been uh, uncovered, uh, which makes it the largest collection in the world. Now, footprints are really interesting because from them you can deduce behavioural and physical characteristics of the people who once lived on the shores of the lake there. So, for example, um, they can see children's tracks running around the parents 
and you can determine a person's height from the length of their foot and the stride and you can also determine their walking or running speed. Some footprints appear to be made from hunters as there are kangaroo and emu prints nearby as well as spear holes in the ground. The Australian Museum has been out there taking casts of the prints so we may be able to see them soon and uh, the report is due out in the Journal of Human Evolution soon. And just a further note, uh, Australia's oldest human remains uh, were also found at Lake Mungo National Park and they've been dated at 40,000 years ago. Thanks, Natalie. You're still listening to the show formerly known as Discovery. Now, I like a good conspiracy theory as much as the next person, or perhaps a little more. The one I'd like to talk to you about today concerns the Second World War, Hitler's death, UFOs, and just about anything else you would like to tie in. The so-called hollow hollow earth theory is quite a simple idea that has been around in various forms for many years. In early religions, places such as Hades, Sheol, and Hell were thought to be real subterranean realms. Now, a bit later in history, people like Edmund Haley of Comet fame, in an attempt to explain anomalous compass readings, postulated that the Earth was made of an outer shell, two inner shells, and a core, with the diameters corresponding to those of Mercury, Mars, Venus, and the Earth. He also proposed that gas escaping from the inside of the Earth was the cause of the aurora borealis, which you may have heard in last week's episode. Later theories placed a sun, or two suns, inside the shell of the Earth, which provided light for the advanced civilizations that dwelt inside. In the 19th century, John Sims developed a theory that described the Earth as a series of concentric spheres, each with holes at the north and south poles. He was perhaps one of the most enthusiastic hollow Earth proponents, as he actually proposed making an expedition to the North Pole in order to find one of these entrances to the inner Earth. Since then, there have been several variations on the theme, but most of the theories involve a habitable inner and outer surface with holes where crossings can be made between the two. The idea has made it into the domain of fiction through writers such as Edgar Allan Poe, Edgar Rice Burroughs and Jules Verne. Some disagreement arises as to whether we inhabit the inside or the outside of the Earth's shell. The inverted Earth theory in one of its variants, claims that the stars in the night sky are in fact floating chunks of ice lit up by the half-light, half-dark sun at the centre of the Earth, which causes day and night. But unfortunately, this is where the theory begins to break down. The physicist and mathematician Sir Isaac Newton, for whom we have to thank the theory of gravity, developed something we now call Newton's shell theorem. This implies that the gravitational force inside a spherically symmetric hollow shell is zero. Hmm. That leaves us with a problem. People would not be able to stand on the inside of a hollow Earth, as they would feel no gravitational pull. Because the Earth is not completely symmetric, there would be some residual force, but the objects on the inside of the Earth would be essentially weightless. One way of getting around this is by saying that the force people feel is actually a centrifugal force due to the Earth's rotation, but this is far too small to approximate the gravity of those on the outside surface. But let's not let science get in the way of a good story. Cyrus Teed, 
A self-professed alchemist changed his name to Koresh and formed the religion Koreshanity in 1888 that followed these inverted earth ideas. Apparently, Koreshanity was a big influence on the Nazis, who, according to some sources, sent at least one mission to spy on the British fleet by sailing out to the Baltic island of Rügen and aiming a powerful telescope upwards in order to see the fleet on the opposite inner surface of the earth. Now, it sounds a little bit crazy, but then what gets even stranger is that they didn't seem to stick to liking this theory. They also seemed to like the theory that they were on the outside of the world. And so, um, as these conspiracy, conspiracy theories go, um, instead of Hitler actually dying, he apparently escaped via an underground railway and then onto a secret plane to the North Pole, where he ventured into the inside of the, of the hollow earth, where he's been living ever since then you can even go another few steps further and link this in to any sort of UFO sightings you want, which apparently originate from these holes in the inner Earth. So, what do you guys think of all this? Well, who, who's down there living with him? Who's down there living with him? Mm. Um, well, I think he took a few of his, um, you know, next-in-commands along with him. But I'm sure, I don't know, anyone was invited. Isn't the world flat? Isn't the world flat? Of course not. <laughs> I, th- I think we finished that argument a while ago, but I mean, you know, we know the world's spherical and all of these people seem to agree. It's just what's inside that counts. Do they try and explain plate tectonics? Um, I think that the, um, the first one I mentioned, which was uh, Edmund Haley's theory, he sort of still had all of these... Um, things rotating everything actually moved and i think i think there would have been plates in there that you know you it, it wouldn't disagree with plate tectonics you could still have them going around but i think you would get your holes moving around sort of much as the i guess the magnetic north pole moves around or something like that hmm. maybe richard branson should uh, open up a new fleet and <laughs> send people down into the inner core of the earth journey to the center of the earth with terranauts <laughs> The UFOs, I mean, I haven't actually put a lot of research into that area of it. I've but heard rumours from the ufologists at the more extreme end who believe that the UFOs go to the poles and then go inside the entry, secret entries to the hollow earth. Yes, and apparently um, there are also some things believed by ufologists that a lot of, a lot of people who pilot these UFOs are actually of, of um, Aryan appearance. Which actually matches Ooh, in, with, in with, the, the with the Nazi theme. <laughs> so there you go. I won't go into too much more of this. It's a scientific fact. A scientific fact. It has to be correct. It has to be exact. Because it is, because it is a scientific fact. It's a scientific fact that our high and low tides are caused by the gravitational pull of the moon. It's been proven to be true, like one and one are two. It's checked and double-checked, a fact that can be backed, because it is, because it is a scientific fact. 
It's a scientific fact that there are belts of radiation in outer space which are a hazard for future space flyers to overcome. It's a scientific fact. A scientific fact. It has to be correct. It has to be exact. Because it is, because it is a scientific fact. Even scientific facts are not perfectly exact, but they are as exact as it is humanly possible to make them at the time. It's a scientific fact, a scientific fact. It has to be correct, it has to be exact, because it is, because it is a scientific fact. You're still listening to The Show With No Name. No one likes us. I don't know why We may not be perfect But heaven knows we try But all around Even our old friends put us down Let's drop the big one And see what happens We give them money But are they grateful? No, they're spiteful And they're hateful They don't respect us so let's surprise them We'll drop the big one Pulverize them The age is crowded Europe's too old Africa's far too hot And Canada's too cold And South America stole our name Let's drop the big one There'll be no one left to blame us We'll save Australia Wanna hurt no kangaroo? We'll build an all-American amusement park there. They got surfing too. Boom goes London, boom Perry. More room for you and more room for me. In every city, the whole world round, we'll just be another. American town, oh how peaceful it will be. We set everybody free. You wear a Japanese kimono, baby, be Italian shoes to me. They all hate us anyhow. So let's drop the big one now. Let's drop the big one now. That's about all we have time for this week. You have not been listening to Discovery. But if you would like to contact us, you can reach us on email at discovery at 2ser.com. Contributing to the program were Ian Wolfe, Jackie Hayes, Nat- and Natalie Stabe. This show was produced in the studios of 2SER in Sydney and broadcast nationally via the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. I'm Noel Hanna, and I hope you join us next time 
for another edition of this show.